ladies, gentlemen, children of most ages, welcome <laughs> to this Fun Sort of Film Podcast. We are contraindicated for children ages seven to eight. Uh, <laughs> my name is Scott Morris. <laughs> And I will be your genial host for this episode, and I am joined by the equally genial Craig Eastman. I only stole a loaf of bread! And the frankly more genial than either of us, Drew Tavendale. Uh, <laughs> we thought we would change things up a little bit after a year of our podcast. If you've been with us for that year or even part of that, then thank you very much for your attention, and we hope that we've been worthy of it. You may be expecting to hear a commentary track in this particular slot. Uh, We've decided on reflection, the main podcast feed doesn't seem quite the right place for movie commentaries to appear, and it certainly doesn't kind of tie in with the way that we listen to podcasts, for example. So So I'm sure we will do some more down the line, Um, but for at least a while, we are going to spend the 10th of each month comparing and contrasting two films that have similar subjects, premises, or themes, but take either different approaches or perhaps are just of wildly different quality. So this month we are going to take a look at some political satire as current Brexit-based events are so resplendently ludicrous that we now seem to have moved entirely beyond satire, <laughs> rendering it completely redundant. <laughs> coupled coupled with uh, today, well, the date at which we're recording this, at least today's publishing of the Chilcot Inquiry, which has quite a lot to say about media spin, I would imagine. Indeed, the much-delayed Chilcot report into the UK's role in the Iraq war rears its head this very day, so we thought we would take a look at both an American and a British take on manipulating a war for political gains. We'll be talking today about 1997's Wag the Dog and 2009's In the Loop. But I think we might just kick things off by giving you a brief rundown on the premises of both these films in case you haven't seen them. Um, Craig, perhaps you'd like to give us a bit of a rundown on Wag the Dog? Yes, if that's all right with you. Um, So Wag the Dog, 1997, directed by Barry Levinson. Barry Levinson being a director with a fairly potted history of quality. (laughs) uh, For every Good Morning Vietnam, Rain Man and Sleepers, there is a Toys, Bandits and sphere. <laughs> the latter debacle being of cursory interest to us here tonight because it was during a break in filming that that Levinson and star uh, Dustin Hoffman disappeared off for 28 days to cobble together Wag the Dog. That being a film whose budget and final quality are absolutely inverse uh, to that particular <laughs> title. Uh, Wag the Dog centres around a US presidential campaign in which the incumbent's ambition for a second term seems irreparably compromised by a sex scandal about to hit the headlines. The president's advisers call in Robert De Niro's Stanley Breen a hotshot media spin doctor whose skills at press manipulation seem their only hope at salvaging four more years. Breen's masterstroke is a plan to divert attention from the inevitably breaking scandal by absolutely, positively not suggesting to the press that the new B3 (laughs) stealth bomber will be dispatched ahead of completion of trials to intervene in an escalating crisis with the Albanians, who (laughs) absolutely, positively do not claim to have a nuclear suitcase bomb in Canada, which they plan to bring across the border and detonate on US soil. The fact that neither the B-3 bomber nor the suitcase bomb have any basis in reality hardly seems the point. And in enacting his plan, Breen enlists top Hollywood producer Stanley Motts, played by Hoffman, to produce the necessary materials to convince both the media and the public that the fantasy is in fact a reality. A movie of considerable quality, I have to say. Uh, I very much enjoyed Wag the Dog. Uh, our, our current political circumstance in this country and elsewhere aside, even overlooking how how prescient this movie seemed uh, when it came out 19 years ago, it's uh, a, a wonderful piece. Remarkable to think it was cobbled together in pretty much 28 days. And yes, I don't know, would either of you like to say anything of, of note? 
I mean, surely the premier mark that this is a quality film is that you can put Dennis Leary in it and it doesn't ruin it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he doesn't scuttle it. Yes. <laughs> but no, likewise, I tremendously enjoyed this. I hadn't really seen it at all until we uh, broached that it. It's been on my to-watch list for a while. But, uh, yeah, just scandalously, some, same here. Some tremendous, tremendous performances. I don't know if I've seen Dustin Hoffman better, and certainly in the kind of more comedic sort of things. Powerhouse performance, and uh, Bob De Niro shows off his comic chops again when he just reminds us that, of course, he can be very funny when he chooses to be in films that are yeah. funny rather than things yes. that claim to be comedies, it's almost, it's almost very de- much aren't. depressing, the disparity and quality between De Niro's performance here and in something so ostensibly trivial a movie well not trivial in terms of the topics it deals with but in terms of sort of budgetary and, and production requirements compared to some of the, the pap that he's been associated with in, in recent years and it wasn't that long ago that he was producing stuff of this quality why why Bobby why have you given <laughs> up on us as I mean there's the occasional thing never was a fantastic film but you'd get occasional glimpses of his acting chops again is something like City by the Sea. You know, maybe there was something mm. interesting him a bit. But it's almost <laughs> like within a couple of years of this film, he just more or less decided to stop bothering. De Niro on this is almost... It just feels so at ease and mm-hmm. relaxed. Yeah. And it works so well for the character, but it's... It's, it's kind of... His performance kind of just slides off him in this, right? But not in a I'm here to pick up my paycheck way, just in a kind of that I'm, I'm making this look effortless, but I'm probably actually working very hard at it. Yeah, I, I think it must be something to do with, I don't know, just the the role appealing to him or mm-hmm. something he'd get his teeth into because it's just, in this film, it's that way of professionals generally are really good at their job, make difficult things look easy. Mm-hmm. And he manages in this. And to say, since 1997, we've seen it precious few times. Yeah, and I mean, it probably doesn't hurt that he's bouncing off of um, Dustin Hoffman uh, here, which, as you point out, Scott, given arguably one of his, well, certainly I, I would agree with you, one of the best performances of his that I've seen. Dustin Hoffman's quality hasn't perhaps been as variable as, as De Niro's in recent years. I mean, the guy's got an outstanding back catalogue of phenomenal performances, not least in yeah. Rain Man uh, with Barry Levinson uh, previously. But mm-hmm. uh, he is he is pretty close to the top of his game here and crucially seems to be really enjoying himself as well which makes it uh, which makes it incredibly enjoyable as an audience yeah i mean i don't know whether perhaps part of that is simply because they're half taking the piss out of hollywood which obviously is you know in a way you might consider it biting the hand that feeds them mm. but i don't know whether that opportunity gives them a wee bit of license to have some fun and that means he enjoys the role more but yeah Whatever the reason, it doesn't really matter. It's that he's deeply watchable in this. These characters very, very entertaining. I think perhaps part of what made this film so effective, I think even still today, is that kind of Hollywood link because as news has moved from being dry, fact-based, looking at cinema, telling you that stuff, to becoming slices of pop entertainment in and of themselves and being mm. more becoming slicker, becoming more polished, becoming more produced, uh, it really does kind of hit home how... Essentially, this is this is kind of how things are going. How media manipulation, uh, although in this case someone is manipulating the media, but the, it's the media that are then manipulating the public to fall hook, line, and sinker for this admittedly somewhat fanciful plot. Uh, it's not a, a scheme that would have survived in this age of uh, social media. Uh, yeah, I don't know how I don't know how big Albanian uh, Twitter footprint is, but I'm sure at least one of them would have noticed. Hang on, there's nothing happening. Oh, here. if this if this <laughs> film had been made two years later, it would have already have been painfully out of step with the times. But yeah. I think the reason. <laughs> The reason for me that it works so well 
is that the premise, well, the, the premise of manipulating the media isn't fanciful at all, as you point out. It's, no. it's, it's day-to-day stuff. It's bread and butter stuff for uh, for the media departments of, uh, well, any Western government, really. But the plot of the false invasion, etc., is it's not so far out of the bounds of reality. You feel like this is some sort of near near future dystopian uh, thing going on where it's it's almost believable, but it's just far enough outside the bounds of reality to push it into mm. the necessary comic territory. Um, yeah. Because this is this is for the most part um, to be viewed as a, as a comedy, um, and I got more laughs out of this, I think, than than most comedies that I've seen in, <laughs> in recent years. <laughs> But I mean, it's also it's also also to be taken incredibly uh, seriously as well. I mean, there's a serious point to the film for all the the fun and joviality that's been had. It has a it's a fairly serious message. And actually, I think one of the things that struck me was the um, one of the very clever things, at least from my interpretation, the way the uh, score. Mark Knopfler produced the score for the movie, yes, and it's a very people. yeah, and it's a very um, it's a very kind of melancholic, noodly, quite simplistic background music that he's produced for the film. But that sort of melancholic tone just undercuts the the comic aspect enough to remind you that actually the film's trying to say something serious it's just using satire to to make the most impact with the message that it has so i mean there's sort of as i say for a film of which the the production was so um minimalistic there's so much to enjoy here and, and so much mm. thought has clearly been put into it that i really regret not watching uh, not watching this sooner but uh, i mean i'm glad i have now i just you know a little bit of a painful reminder of things that are happening at the moment um <laughs> but enjoyable nonetheless again i think i have to appreciate that this is as you say it's very funny but it is definitely a black comedy and as mm. far as hollywood concert is concerned it may be the blackest comedy i've seen coming from them mm-hmm. certainly with what was, uh, I believe this was, what was New Line? So it's a fairly major studio behind it. Yeah. Um, and this amount of star power behind it. Again, if you view it from today, uh, cynicism in Hollywood movies tends not to exist, really. Um, certainly after 9-11, for fairly understandable reasons. But mm-hmm. between social changes and the business case, you're probably never going to return to the kind of Vietnam-era grimness that Hollywood could give us. Um, I can't imagine a major studio putting money behind Taxi Driver anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. Nightcrawler may be the closest. And even that was uh, very produced in somewhat exceptional circumstances. There's not really been anything that's... that's dared to go so dark mm. before. Um, instead, we just get lots of comic book films to distract ourselves with. Uh, so this is, I think, interesting little perhaps relic of another era where you, I don't think Hollywood's likely to go back to being so cynical. Yeah. In, in time, surprise, time surprisingly sufficated and inward looking. And as you see, very much at the on the cusp of the period at which, yeah, things would start to swing quite heavily the other way. So yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot to be celebrated about it, certainly. Uh, I, had, I saw this when it came out, actually, and watched it once in the interim, but I'd forgotten just how how damn funny it is. And yeah, it is really quite black too, because not many political satires involve convicted felons who are then killed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd forgotten all about that bit, but then that that was unexpected. I'd remembered that Woody Harrelson was the convict, okay, and that this is the person I put up. And that one of the things that definitely wouldn't hold up in a movie set today or mm. if that scenario today because people would have found out by doing Google image searches and things yeah. within about two seconds who he actually was but then they, they take that character and have him shot by a farmer with a shotgun basically if, if I had if I have one criticism of the film I think it's that in those final couple of reels it loses its way a little bit and a lot of that stuff with um, Woody Harrelson's character <laughs> old shoe um mm. That is pushing the boundaries a little bit. It feels like it's wandering 
perilously close to slapstick at a couple of points there. The bit where he's chasing after the farmer's wife feels an awful lot like a Benny Hill sketch is about to kick off. But <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a little bit dodgy. It's one of the few films I've seen as an aeroplane crash purely for narrative convenience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are yeah, a couple other bits that I wouldn't say don't sit well with me more, just they, they feel a wee bit, they've gone a wee bit too far. One isn't so much Woody Harrelson's character there, but it's the the whacking of Dustin Hoffman's character. Mm. Really, this a political campaign manager has that sort of pull uh, that it gets a wee bit too far it goes a wee bit too far at the end I think but, it would be um, nice to have left that hanging actually I think as opposed to just explicitly invoking the narrative that yeah he's been done away with uh, if anything it might have been nice just to leave that as a as a threat without you say quite rightly put it Drew um, it does, that does feel a little bit out of place but I mean that's what I mean it's the last the last act maybe of the of the movies in general uh, pushes things a little bit too far but in saying that, that last act of the movie is still funnier than most other comedy movies, full stop. Uh, so, and, yeah, and it's yeah. nice to, it, there's a, just like a couple of nice, tu- nice, just really wee touches that I don't think the film would have been any lesser without, but it just makes you smile or sometimes laugh. The, mm-hmm. the running gag about the illegal immigrants. Yeah. And then the, the immigrant that had picked him up after the plane crash in his tractor. And just at the end, you get this wee payoff of being made a citizen by a um, judge they'd roped in just so that at no point in this narrative that they'd created would there be any illegal immigrants. No, <laughs> exactly. You can't attribute any heroism to an immigrant. If that hadn't been in there, you probably would never have thought about it again. But just that, that attention to detail that they just... So we call back to that just as a, a wee coda at the end. Yeah, it's fantastic. Mm. Yeah, I think um, a, a real a real gem of a movie, and it's a fairly potent combination to have something which is um, so prescient, you know, powerful, and at the same time genuinely funny, incredibly well acted. You know, I mean, it could have done without. I mean, and it's not a, a long film by any means, but it could have mm. done even with me five minutes being excised with the amount of time they spend on Willie Nelson songwriting. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Particularly the recording of the first song that comes up, the one that gets um, dispatched because Craig T. Nelson's kind of undermined them. But it's, uh, yeah, they kind of go on with that a wee bit too much because the music is terrible. Deliberately so, it's meant to be, but it's, <laughs> you do it with maybe losing a couple of minutes of that, but that's, that's really nitpicking. Mm. Otherwise, just a really, really well-crafted clever film that treats its audience with respect as well. Yes, as uh, just on the Twitters, as at Movie Geekcast kind of agrees, yikes, wag the dog, what an almost depressingly prophetic film. Mm-hmm. And well, kind of is, isn't it? Which is mm-hmm. the worrying thing about it all. It's definitely another case of life imitating art as so often happens nowadays. Well, I'm sure we'll circle back to it towards the end, but perhaps we can go on and talk about the other film we're covering today, uh, In the Loop. Uh, Drew, give us a rundown on the plot there. There's a country that's considering going to war for political gain and there's a dossier going around and people sort of sex it up. Seems far-fetched. It seems (laughs) far-fetched indeed, doesn't it? And then there's some spin doctors working in the background. There's some pressure from the United States and suddenly there's a war and people die. It's it's a crazy, crazy thing to think of. You you couldn't write that stuff, could you? Nobody would believe it. Oh. (laughs) Oh. Uh, yes, in the loop, coming after the fact rather than before the fact with Wag the Dog this time is more or less based on the idea of what happened with the rush to war in Iraq and the report that eventually led to the Chilcot Inquiry 
and you have a bunch of diplomats and politicians nagging each other to create a reason to go to war because humans are scum. In the loop, of course, from Armando Inucci, who, on a rough calculation, has been involved with 80% of all decent British comedy, that <laughs> certainly anything that I've liked over the past 20-odd years. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's directing and, and co-writing this. It's essentially that the halfway point between his TV shows, uh, The Thick of It and Veep, set in Whitehall and White House, respectively. A lot of the same cast return, albeit perhaps in slightly different roles. The one person and the linchpin of the whole piece that's the same in both The Thick of It and In the Loop is uh, the Prime Minister. Director of Communications, Malcolm Tucker, played gloriously by Peter Capaldi. Um, he's kind of shepherding and carpeting and haranguing Simon Foster, played by Tom Hollander, who's a Secretary of State for International Development, who's who appears to be kind of having a, a media breakdown as he kind of flip-flops between supporting and unsupporting a war almost entirely accidentally just by misspeaking in it's various interviews. <laughs> to be fair, I kind of have some sympathy for his position because he's, he's in conflict with the government's position that the, uh, a conflict is neither unforeseeable or foreseeable, which puts in a, a strange little Schrodinger's box of not actually knowing what the hell mm. this would be. Uh, so it, it kind of bounces about between uh, London and uh, Washington as various people from the States are either sent over or we go back and meet them in the White House. Uh, people like uh, the Secretary of State for Diplomacy, Karen Clark, Mimi Kennedy, who's trying desperately to halt the kind of march to war, along with uh, her buddy, Lieutenant General George Miller, played, I found somewhat surprisingly, but you know, very funnily by James Gandolfini. Mm-hmm. But it just was not a person I expected to show up in one of these kind of films where there's a hell of a job. One of his last roles, wasn't it? Again, Must have been, yeah. And on the other side of the kind of parts to war equation is the unhinged uh, US Assistant Secretary of State for Policy, Lyndon Barrick, played by David Rush, who's also kind of wonderfully kind of detached from reality as he's going through it. He's very much of the, the Dick Cheney kind of creating your own reality uh, <laughs> school of thought. Um, and you can actually, you can almost imagine Dick Cheney having a live hand grenade as a paperweight. Yes. <laughs> it wouldn't feel so out of place. <laughs> And so it goes, I guess we'll maybe talk about the differences a little later, but I, I wouldn't want to undersell exactly how funny In The Loop is. Mm. Um, it has the best use of language and swearing in particular um, that I've ever seen in a film. It continues, of course, on from his uh, The Thick of It series, which is still highly recommended. But uh, Malcolm Tucker is just such a tremendous character, and almost the force of nature, uh, as the kind of foul-mouthed insultobot <laughs> as, he, as he rolls through and uh, just destroys people. And it's, it's fun seeing watching like poor old Chris Addison who's just perfect for being on the receiving end of one of these because he still looks like a 12 year old boy mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of funny watching him being scalded um, by these this force of nature Malcolm Tucker yeah, just really incredibly sharply written mm-hmm. um, yeah. just some of the best dialogue in films yeah, um, still absolutely brilliant to the stage not been topped every second line's a zinger um, it's possibly the most quotable film I've ever seen just because Every single, almost every single line, you just like, I wish I could say something even half as good as that with a year's run up, yeah. you know? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you're far wrong. It strikes a really nice balance as well, because obviously a great deal of the movie thematically deals with the minutiae of this language that is used intergovernmentally, the the diplomatic terminology and how the slightest, the slightest deviation from the norm can be misconstrued as something completely heinous, such as I'm in favour of climbing the mountain of war. Um, <laughs> so for a film that took that tack, it's, it's, it's pretty bold. You know, it's, it's a, a 
big, big gamble. You have to have a lot of faith in your writing credits to produce a film which is that heavily focused on the minutia of the language and actually and actually pull it off to a degree that does that justice thematically. I mean, obviously, there's a good deal is also improvised as well, but the, the core of the writing is absolutely... Um, I, I don't think I even appreciated it on first watch, actually, how sharply written it is. And what rewatching it again now, uh, for the first time since it was released, I was, I was really taken aback just by how little fat there is on it. Um, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't really stray away from the, the core of its theme. There's no... It would be difficult to justify excising more than about five frames <laughs> from the whole movie. Uh, the cast are uniformly excellent and the balance between the sophistication or, you know, the, the, the precision of some of the language and also just the out-and-out world-beating flair with which Peter Capaldi invokes all of the swear words known to man uh, with gay abandon, <laughs> which I guess a lot of international audiences might not be as familiar with the, the thick of it. Um, but he certainly laid down a lot of groundwork there. So I wonder how much of a shock this maybe came as to an audience who might not have been familiar with that material. But I mean, to the point where years after the fact, you know, all Peter Capaldi was asked about in interviews when he was revealed to be the new Doctor Who is, oh, is the Doctor going to be swearing then, is it? And we got we got, we got got weeks of Peter Capaldi sort of increasingly begrudgingly sitting on a sofa trying to look as if that was the first time he'd heard it. It is such an iconic role. And if, if swearing can be raised to an art, form then in the loop is arguably the uh you know is arguably the mona lisa of yeah. the uh, of the of the art so um yeah one thing on that that i really like is that um you think you've reached a level with malcolm tucker as we were just kind of talking about before we went on air and you think you've kind of got a handle on it and mm-hmm. then then they wheel out uh, paul higginsy's uh, jamie mcdonald mm-hmm. who's one of uh, malcolm's underlings who if anything is even angrier <laughs> shoutier and swearier yes. just, to give it, yeah. just just to liven it up a little bit uh, yeah, Ma- malcolm, just... malcolm tucker with the sophistication sieved out of him <laughs> yeah as you say greg the the swearing here is an art form. It, it's absolute genius because it, it's funny and clever. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's swearing is not big and clever, well, unless it's done really well, in which case it's very, very clever. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too bitty down on the swearing, though, because it's done with such panache here. Yeah. Um, it's but the type the, of, not, if it doesn't sound ridiculous, it's the type of language where even people who are offended by strong language would probably find it difficult to be offended <laughs> very by. Very possibly, unless they're yeah. Lyndon Barrick. But the point I was going to make, though, is that um, don't get too bad then swearing because even the non-sweary lines are fantastic. Oh yeah. yeah. Just as a couple of examples of some of the just fantastic um, lines in it. Um, yeah, careful. <laughs> You're going to do them justice. Oh, probably not. <laughs> this, is, this is going to be a you had to be there moment. Very possibly. Yeah, but <laughs> you have lines Sorry, like, go on. I didn't, mean to, I didn't mean to pull the rug out from under you there, dude. Sorry, man. Yes, you did, you Um. Yeah. Climbing the mountain of conflict. You sounded like a Nazi Julie Andrews. <laughs> Scott's mentioning Jamie as well. You get some fantastic lines that aren't swearing. When we were talking about before we came on air too, it's like when they're talking about the name of the informant that's in this report that they're sexing up. Iceman. You think that's his real name? Iceman. To Mr. and Mrs. Man. A son. Ice. <laughs> <laughs> there's just so many great lines that aren't sweary as well it's just like not like they have this one talent of making swearing sound really good the, the mm. whole thing is so well observed so sharply written um, yeah, so cutting some, some really great characters in here lots of nice characterization, especially the two all the kind of receiving end of things I guess for the most part but Chris Addison and Tom Hollander himself mm-hmm. uh, just doing this kind of browbeaten 
awkward shuffly type thing going on where after some of the lines are delivered they can they can just feel the kind of the heat blasting from them or off them yeah just some tremendous character performances both uh, both on the sort of giving and receiving end of these tirades and i think it does quite well in building up some pretty reasonable characters from the people that would just kind of basically just be supporting roles in a lot of things like the guys like the the american interns chad uh mm-hmm. and uh anna chlumsky's uh lisa weld who i think went on to star veep it manages to have even the, the kind of smaller characters feel quite well rounded and quite well characterized mm-hmm. even though they have you know comparatively very few lines and then even um, too you've got like steve Cookentrol, who maybe in a, in a <laughs> less well written thing would have been like your typical quirky british character slightly you might dismissed as a loon but well, no, I mean, he's a wee bit upset about what's happening, but at the same point, he's not stupid. Um, yeah. And he's And if, um, and if you're British, you, you know someone who is that character. <laughs> I think one, one of my favourite lines in the film was about his line, about when someone invokes the notion of behaving like a suicide bomber. And he responds, I'm hardly going to blow myself up. I'm, a, I'm not a suicide bomber. I'm a member of the National Trust. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't remember that line from the first watching and I was actually, I was sitting watching this at about, I started watching this at five o'clock one morning when I had to get up with a little guy and it, was, so it must have been about quarter, quarter to six in the morning and I just couldn't stop myself laughing at that line. It caught me absolutely off guard. It's very it really mid-England, isn't it? Oh yeah. And one of the movie's great strengths, and I mean, it might not necessarily be obvious to anyone, especially who's not familiar with the thick of it, the TV series from which this movie is a spin-off, but... Um, it's worth remembering that Armando Iannucci and the producers on the film have a have a an absolutely microscopic awareness of um, the ins and outs of the the British political system and and the way that these departments work and rely on you know close sources within Whitehall for a lot of their material. So even some of most of these characters are are analogues of re- real people who had previously or were still in some cases in government at the time. Um, and it's not as fantastical as it might seem, but again, very much like Wag the Dog, it's it's extruded just enough to place it in the the realm of, of comedy while at the same time uh, retaining uh, you know more than a hint of depressing. Depressing yeah. realism, I suppose. And that's the thing. As the Chilcot report appears to, yes. uh, to suggest this is more documentary than you would like. Yeah, that's yes. the thing. When, um, yeah. when the thick of it started, too, people in Parliament were basically describing it as documentarian. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was a fabrication, but these people were like, how does he know so much? This is exactly what yeah. happens here. They weren't necessarily finding it as funny as they were uh, creepy. Yes. <laughs> No, fantastical, uh, fantastic resource. And crucially, for a, obviously, there's a great tradition, especially here in the UK, of taking uh, successful TV series and creating movie spin offs that absolutely do not work. Um, <laughs> and I suppose for something as treasured as the thick of it, um, as much faith as you put in Armando Iannucci, there is in our DNA here in Britain still the fear that this something like this could have ended up. <laughs> carry on up the Washington Monument um, and that they were all going to jump on a bus and go on holiday and that hilarity would ensue. But it absolutely is not that. It uses its increased scope and its, you know, marginally, I suppose, increased budget uh, wisely uh, and it expands the characters out, but it never loses focus on what actually 
made the thick of it uh, a successful and revered series. It basically just amplifies the good parts of that, fleshes it out with more characters. Obviously, it afforded them the increased budget, afforded them the opportunity to chuck some people on a plane and take them to Washington uh, and get talent like James Gandolfini on board, uh, which is which is never a bad thing. Rest your soul, big guy. So yeah, a really, really, um, a, a really impressive piece of work, and uh, uh, one of those films that makes you proud to be British. Yeah. Wasn't my favourite film of 2009. It's possibly my favourite film of the decade. Uh, <laughs> 2000s. Uh, just absolutely love the film to pieces and uh, heartily, heartily happy to have watched it and to share it all with you. It's a film that knows what it's doing. So I guess we can try and look at some of the differences or comparisons between this and Wag the Dog. I mean, this will probably inevitably wind up being a discussion between the British and uh, American political systems. Now, I think one thing that I've noticed that seems quite common in American movies, anything that's to do with the White House, I think it's most of the time it's shown as either you know, two sides of one coin. It's either a powerful, purposeful executive that's you know devoted to bettering the world largely, or even when it's sort of the antagonist side of the coin and stuff like, I don't know, absolute power, it's the, they're still ruthless and competent and driven. Mm-hmm. You still see that in Wag the Dog. Much as the, the kind of White House machine is doing a kind of strange thing, they're doing it very effectively, as it would turn out. Um, everyone's buying this, and uh, when someone's causing bother, they vanish. So, you know, it's very ruthlessly competent. Whereas in Britain, we don't have quite the same regard for our parliamentarians and haven't since Guy Fawkes tried to blow the place up. <laughs> so, so when it took something like In the Loop, when it goes over to America and takes a look at the kind of White House system, it's obviously a very different picture that it paints. Mm-hmm. It's... I, I imagine would be much closer to reality. It's a bunch of offices where people are just bumbling around doing the best they can in the current situation. And if they're lucky, that might look something like a coherent plan. Uh, but but um, certainly it's, it's a very different take on machinations of power. It's just a bunch mm. of stuff that's happening and people are just trying to deal with it as best they can. I suspect that is probably a closer to reality than than anything else. Yeah, it's weird. I, I don't know what you mean there, Scott, with like, people in office in the United States feel... It's the way they're treated, elevated, don't they? Rather than they're just more or less like you and me, but we get to go to that big building in the centre of London all the time. Mm. It's weird, isn't it? Even like if like Veep, which was Armando Iannucci's it's an American take on the thick of it, which came out of In The Loop. And it's very much like that too. It, it feels... Yeah, I don't know what point I'm making. You're, I'm just agreeing mm. with you, Lars. <laughs> I'd like, I'd like to know what people um, from outside the US and Britain think about the films in contrast, because I suppose from the from the UK side of things, we're probably we're probably a little bit too deep in the forest to see to see some of the trees. But I, for me, the the one one of the really sad things about, and more specifically in in the loop, because it deals more with the the day to day operations uh, throughout departments in the US, as opposed to Wag the Dog, which is very tightly focused on just certain aspects. I think the great the great disappointment was here in the UK. You know, our impression broadly, I think, amongst the great swathes of the society, is that our politicians are a bunch of posh public schoolboy idiots who we expect to behave like idiots uh, and. And largely don't disappoint us in that respect. <laughs> Whereas you get the impression that the American, depressingly, the American political system would be an incredibly powerful force for good if only the people involved in it 
weren't subverting it uh, in in terrible, terrible ways for their own gain. And I never get that impression about our system here. I always think our system here is is uh, flawed from the uh, flawed from the start. You only have to look as far as the House of Lords to understand how how fundamentally screwed our yeah. uh, any political decisions made in our country are inevitably going to be anyway. Oh, all you need to know for our country is to watch a debate in the House of Commons where instead oh, of yeah. you know, recent arguments yeah. is basically a, a bunch of five-year-olds shouting at each other. It's yes, frankly you're embarrassing. Not you're not far wide of the mark there. It is absolutely embarrassing. And if you have the opportunity to tune in to BBC Parliament, the parliamentary channel, wherever you are in the world, please do. Uh, you'll see that Drew's not joking. But yeah, that... that a depressing sense of pessimism brought about by the notion that yes constitutionally the American uh, political system should be so much more a force for good than it is if only the right people were actually involved in it but it's somehow turned into this well the impression we're given here is that it's almost a headless chicken running about within a very very loose uh, runway loosely defined set of guides but in contrast to the films they obviously thematically share very strong uh, core elements but in terms of in terms of tone, I would suggest they're very, very different. For all I was saying that Wag Dog is cynical, In the Loop is much, much, much more cynical. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what I mean. Born of that British pessimism, I think, that I was speaking about, it is harshly cynical. It's a, it's a big focused laser of cynicism. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, there are more similarities than, than dissimilarities between the films. You, ha- you have the obvious star power of Wag the Dog. Um, De Niro and Hoffman on their own are huge uh, huge banner names, even at this late stage in their careers. Uh, but t- to have them both on board in such a, a, a tightly scripted piece of work with, uh, with, with such important things to say uh, and both operating very close to the top of their game is, uh, is huge reward indeed whereas In The Loop doesn't have that star power to rely on uh, I mean James Gandolfini is easily the, the biggest name in that yep. and he doesn't have you know as much screen time as a lot of the other characters but um, In The Loop is still nonetheless powerful arguably arguably a more powerful film in a great many respects and, and as well written as Wag the Dog is and The Loop is so much more tightly written than pretty much anything else Yes, and Wag the Dog can't come close to using something as genius as the phrase love actually as an insult about somebody's appearance <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely I don't think there's a great deal in contrast um, a huge deal of similarity I mean to the point where if you've already seen one of these films and enjoyed it then I heartily recommend that you catch up with the other uh, you'd be doing yourself a great disservice if you didn't I think the the thing that strikes me most about both of them the the political setup in each film feels kind of different and uh, the characters are have different roles so that maybe not comparable that way but it's the the cynicism and mm-hmm. that particularly from the point of view of 2016, be able to look back, the sort of uncanny and deeply, deeply depressing um, veracity of it mm. um, in both of them. Um, again, as I mentioned earlier, In the Loop came after the thing that it's parried and, and Wag the Dog's more just sort of a timeless thing. It's not really yeah. set on one thing that we are aware of. But yeah. both of them just seem so documentarian, as we mentioned earlier too, that it's a... F- they're both films that will probably leave you wanting to sob deeply. <laughs> oh no, that's that's the thing of it, though. Is I, I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think the great strength of the of of both films is that they are both easily sufficiently funny enough that I don't. I personally, I mean, as as distressing as as current events are from people in any number of countries around the world, I didn't feel like these either of these films particularly left me wallowing in in uh, deep depressing political um, introspection. <laughs> they still work just as well as comedies uh, to to a degree that is is guaranteed to lighten your mood more than more than depression.
press it, I think, regardless of uh, what's going on in the newspaper headlines now. I wouldn't want to put anyone off by having them think that, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be so depressing to watch this. There's enough of it in the news already. Um, it's, they, are, they are sufficiently well written and genuinely sharply funny that I still think there is great reward to be had, regardless of your, your political depression at the present time or otherwise. Um, there is no reason not to check them out. I would argue they might even work as a work as an antidote to the current situation. But yes, I, I, I heartily recommend either film. I can't think who wouldn't like them, but I don't know. <laughs> if, you, if you don't like well-written comedies, then yes, look <laughs> elsewhere. Okay, so that just about wraps up for these two films. Of course, both highly, highly recommended. Uh, just a few shout-outs uh, from various people, in particular people who have kindly took the time out to leave us uh, reviews on iTunes. Oh, uh, those absolute sexual tyrannosaurs. <laughs> so uh, Jeff Mack is here, left a very nice review. All these reviews, of course, very nice, but that, we know that he's the guy behind the, or one of the, the people behind the Super PP Time podcast, which... Uh, I know you're a great fan of Craig. Uh, one of my two new heroes. Mm. Uh, also, shout outs to Ryan Recker, also known as the Let Me Explain podcast. Uh, Kylo Ren and Stimpy, which has to be one of the best iTunes title names I've <laughs> I've seen in some time, uh, who does the Pod of Thrones podcast. And of course, uh, over in Australia, Chris Francis, who does the comedy uh, Pod Socks podcast. So thanks very much to all those for the kind words. Um, we just hope we can keep up to the, the standard of which you have become accustomed. Yes. And to everyone who left us a Facebook like as well, you little beauties. Indeed, thanks very much for that. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so, of course, on the Twitters. We're at, at FudsOnFilm. We're on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash FudsOnFilm. And if you want to, of course, you could just email us at podcast at FudsOnFilm.com. Or just think Johnny Wishbone and we'll come running. We won't do that. Don't do that if you want to get in touch with us. That won't work. So we'll be back on the 20th, where we'll just be having a, a general catch-up with whatever's kicking around at the cinema and some stuff on catch-up. I'm not entirely sure what that'll be yet, but we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll work something out. Drawer. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so until the 20th, thanks very much for your attention. I will say goodbye. I have been Scott Morris. And it's also goodbye from Craig Eastman. I didn't really steal a loaf of bread. <laughs> Andrew Tamandale. Bye-bye. We'll see you on the flip side. Bye. Bye.